0: Every good gift, and every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. End of reading. So this will be a one-off episode in the book of James, because actually last year we covered James 2 through 5, but uh, for some reason, don't remember what the reason was, but the day where James 1 came up, uh, we missed that episode. So this will be a one-off episode, and uh, this will complete The book of James. So we start off with this lesson of counting it all joy when you meet various trials, because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, as some other translations have it. So this made me think of when I used to be on club soccer teams, how we would do conditioning toward the end of practice. And it was something that all the players, all of us dreaded. But deep down, we knew. There is a reason why we are doing conditioning, very hard sprinting, and uh, over and over to beat our bodies into shape so that when the matches came, it was much easier. And so I think we should have, I think what James is saying is to have a similar mentality that we should count it joy when we're meeting those trials that we go through in life because that testing of our faith makes us more steadfast, it makes us stronger, it helps us have greater endurance in this life. And steadfastness, in its full effect, it says here in verse 4, will make us perfect, complete, and lack nothing. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that's the perspective we ought to have when we meet various trials, or trials of various kinds. Then we have another section here on those who lack wisdom If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So it says, if we lack wisdom, which all of us do, we should ask God to give us wisdom, to give us his wisdom. And he gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to those who seek wisdom from God. And ask in faith. Don't ask with doubt. Don't ask with uh, pretense. Don't ask with half-heartedness or double, double-mindedness, as it says here in verse 8. He is a double-minded man, unstable in his, all his ways. Ask God for wisdom and commit yourself to to that pursuit and receiving from him wisdom. And God will give wisdom to that person. Let him ask in faith and confidence that God is generous in teaching us wisdom and uh don't doubt God's generosity. Don't doubt his goodness. Don't doubt his wisdom. Don't doubt his willingness to to help you, to build you up. And uh, if you ask in faith, it will be given to him, or it will be given to you. Then we have here something about brothers who are lowly and brothers who are rich. So those who have little, those who have much. Let the bro- Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast in the fact that God lifts him up though he himself is low God lifts him up and and blesses him and let the rich boast in his humiliation let the rich be happy with the fact that God has humbled him God has shown this this rich person that it's all a gift from him which it says later here in uh it says later here in the chapter that every good and perfect gift comes from God so a proper rich person should be humble, and say that everything I have is because God has gifted it to me. It's come from above. And the lowly brother too. Everything and anything that he has, namely his exaltation, is God's gift from above. And uh, specifically the rich person has more instruction told to him. It says, let the rich boast in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Let him not boast in his riches. Or be satisfied in his riches because that ultimately goes away. You know, it doesn't last forever. And so let him have a a sober mind, let him be humble with his riches, because those kinds of riches are not forever. The sun rises with its scorching hit and withers, the grass, its its flower falls, its beauty perishes, and so will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. If your pursuits are for only earthly riches, not God's kingdom, Not the riches that he offers, then you'll fade away in the midst of those pursuits. So there's more instruction there given to to those who have much, uh, how to how to perceive and understand what they've what they've been given, and we've all been given much to obviously to varying degrees. But all of us in some sense can consider ourselves rich, and all of us in some sense can consider ourselves lowly but exalted by God in Christ. So, there's something for both of us in, in both sides of that, of that spectrum. Here we have, again, more on trials. And this kind of trial eventually refers to a trial of temptation. Verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So, that's true for all kinds of trials. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, because when you pass through that test, you will receive the crown of life, which God has has promised to all those who love him. Now we have specific instruction on trials of temptation, trials of temptation to sin. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So first of all, don't say, oh, this is God trolling me. This is God trying to bait me. This is God uh, setting me up for, for failure. No. Let no one say that when he is tempted. Let no one say I'm being tempted by God. And here are the reasons. God can, God himself cannot be tempted with evil. Second, God himself tempts no one. It just says outright, no, God doesn't tempt people with sin. He doesn't troll people. He doesn't set them up for for failure. So let no one say that. When you're going through a trial, let no one say, well, I'm doomed to fail because... God set me up to fail. No, let no one say that. Instead, verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and, in, and enticed by his own desire. Well, rather than instead, I should replace that word. It gives further clarification of the, the nature of temptation. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So no, it's not, I'm being tempted by God. It's, I'm being tempted by my own sinful desire. He is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then his desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So our sin is our fault. Don't, don't blame you giving into temptation on God. Our sin is our fault, and it comes from our heart. We are lured and enticed by our own desire, not by the heart of God, but by our own hearts. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Here's what God brings forth from his heart. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Sometimes plants or fruit, things that are growing, have to pass through tough seasons, but God still wants us to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That representation of, this is the kind of crop that I want from the harvest. This this right here, this is the fruit I want. And so that's, that's what God brings forth by his own will. He doesn't bring out of us evil desires or temptation, that we bring in our own hearts. What he brings out is his good fruit, the fruit of the spirit. And it says a little later here in verse 21, put away all filthiness and rapid wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So what's the seed that ought to grow out of our own heart? the seed of the implanted word of God, which is able to save our souls. So we can be that kind of first fruits of God's creatures that he wants by receiving with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. And that's how we become doers of the word and not hearers only. And that doers of the word and hearers only thing. Let me just uh, read those verses to explain that, that paradigm. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. So the key in many of these, of these passages in chapter one, the key seems to be to really, truly bring forth this fruit of true Christianity. So when you're going through that trial, remain steadfast. That's real. That's what real Christianity is. Um, if you're low, if you're rich... You should be content with what God has done for you. That's that's real Christianity. And in temptation, blesses is a man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. That's real Christianity. And here it's talking about being doers of the word, not hearers only. Because it says to receive with meekness the implanted word. What does it mean to receive? Well, it doesn't mean to only just hear and not do and not respond to what's said. To not be doers only, deceiving yourself, or sorry, to not be hearers only, but doers of the word, that way we won't deceive ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, so that's real Christianity, a persevering faith, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's not just looking into the perfect law, but looking, persevering, and doing what we've learned. This person will be blessed in his doing. So real Christianity receives real blessing from God. And then lastly, it talks about here of a religious person, true religion, or real Christianity as I've called it. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So don't fall into these tricks that real Christianity doesn't involve us responding and following and persevering in the faith, but that we are to be actively persevering and doing what we hear and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's hard work. Because it's really dirty out there. It's really dark out there. It's hard work to keep oneself unstained from the world. But this work is blessed by God. And these, these trials of various kinds, God is passing us through these trials to, to test our faith and produce steadfastness in us and make us, make us tougher, make us more mature. So that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So that ought to be the mentality we have when we face various trials, when we face temptation whether we have little or much, in terms of material possession, and when we hear the word, not just to hear it, but to to do it. We ought to pursue a true commitment to God, and he will bless us. So grow with the growth that's from God.